This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association, an affiliate of the Kaufman Interfaith Institute. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. A few years ago, we had my friend and colleague, Rabbi David Krischoff, uh, on this program to discuss a fascinating encounter. I'm not going to say much about it now if you missed it, but I would encourage that you visit uh, any of our podcast websites, any of the platforms, and look for the show with Rabbi David Krischoff. And I promise you, it, uh, it it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, episode. Actually, there are two episodes, uh, but you'll find them all combined into one on the podcast uh, platforms. Anyway, we've got him back here today because he has written a remarkable book called Reflections on the Psalms. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, rabbi David Krischoff is uh, a rabbi of the conservative uh, uh, synagogue here in Grand Rapids, uh, Havas Israel. He is also the person that is in charge of a panel of theological wannabe experts, maybe. <laughs> we like to think so. Uh, and we are uh, we publish our column Ethics and Religion Talk in the online paper, The Rapidian. So we're uh, very happy to have David back again. David, welcome to Common Threads. Fred, it's always great to be back here. Thank you for inviting me. Certainly, certainly. Before we get into the book, uh, because I was thinking maybe I should ask this uh, at the end of our program, but I thought, you know something, we might run out of time, or I might forget, so I'm going to ask you right now, tell us what it's like here in Grand Rapids uh, for the Jewish community, considering what's going on in the Middle East today. How how does it affect not just you personally, but the community, and how you are responding not just to what's going on in the Middle East, but what's going on in America in response to uh, Israel and Hamas. Thank you for asking. The longer the Israeli war against Hamas in Gaza goes on, the lower Israel comes out in the polls. And the lower Israel comes out, the more criticism Israel gets, the greater levels of anti-Semitism. It just works that way. So from the very beginning, we knew that there was going to be uh, a problem developing. Anti-Semitism is going up regardless of this this particular event. Uh, We had reevaluated examined, consulted on our security protocols uh, several years ago. So we really had the security in place and we we didn't think we needed to make major changes. Although within the Jewish community, uh, there have been 
some changes, some heightening in security for our institutions. So we haven't seen any increase. We haven't seen any uh, <clears throat> any acts, any vandalism against the synagogue uh, or against any building within the Jewish community. Uh, in Kalamazoo, there's been a little bit of vandalism, but nothing, nothing here. Uh, Graffiti we, or what? No was, graffiti in, in Kalamazoo. Some graffiti. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, Kalamazoo. So you know, we're we're feeling okay. We're very watchful. Uh, as we're recording this, a couple of weeks ago, there were one hundred swatting calls or uh, or bomb threats, false bomb threats against Jewish institutions in a single weekend. Uh, and it, it seemed to be following a pattern that I'm expecting to continue over the next weeks and months. Uh, it would mostly hit California and Arizona, but I wouldn't be surprised if it hit uh, Michigan, other Midwestern states. Uh, <clears throat> so... We have a lot on our mind. Uh, we uh, so that's that's externally, internally. Uh, we all have family or friends, uh, or a close sense of kinship with people in Israel who themselves have been called into the reserves, whose children are serving uh, in the army. Uh, who are in the north, who are in the south, who are going into Gaza, uh, who are doing various kinds of watchful or security jobs. And, and, and we know from October 7th that it was some of the women who were, who were just in the safe jobs of, you know, of, of watching the fences, watching the border, uh, who, who were among the first to be uh, murdered. Uh, so, so we know nothing. Nothing is safe right now, and uh, internally we've we've uh, focused on special prayers within the synagogue service. As a community, we've gathered. Uh, we we were gathering weekly for special uh, prayers, mm -hmm. talking about Israel. Uh, <clears throat> that. Uh, that has kind of fallen away a little bit because of Hanukkah, because of uh, of winter break. I don't know if we're going to come back to that, but uh, you know, people have had a need to be in community and and be able to talk to each other and just hear the words of these prayers for for whatever whatever higher purpose that that accomplishes. People need to hear that. And I know one of the challenges you have, you as a community, is that anti-Semitism is coming from both the hard right and the hard left. Am I correct? Yeah, historically, yes. Uh, right now, the the left is probably more of a concern. Uh, the the left aligns itself with pro-Palestinian causes and when when we see a a demonstration at which people are saying 
from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. We're not entirely sure that the people chanting know what river they're talking about or what sea they're talking about. But if they did, what they're saying is from one side of Israel to the other. It would be like saying from the Atlantic to the Pacific, the United States shall be no more. That's what they're saying about Israel. And that's, uh, for college students, it's frightening to have to walk past a group of 100, 200, 300 people shouting uh, and, uh, and be confident that you're going to get past them and get to your class uh, is, uh, is nerve-wracking for them. Uh, and so we've seen more of those demonstrations here in Grand Rapids, and, and that, that concerns us. But uh, as I said, we haven't experienced any, any direct threats uh, or vandalism. So for that, we are grateful. Well, good, good. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, and at this point, let us, uh, let us talk about your book, uh, which is entitled Reflections on the Psalms. What a simple title. It, it, it is exactly what it says it is. There, there's no hyperbole. <laughs> there's... You know, I, I wanted a title that said something about the book that I, I didn't want you to misunderstand that I was writing some kind of scholarly book about psalms, because I'm really not. If you want to know what the psalms mean, what the psalmist says, where the psalmist lived, what he had for breakfast, <laughs> what kind of pen he used or she, uh, I can give you a book to read, but that's not me. I'm reading these compositions, and just whatever happens in my head, that's what I write down. Fair enough. Well, if I ask you a question and it's outside of your wheelhouse, you can always just say that's not my business. That I'm I'm fine with that. I did actually have a couple of questions um, about the Psalms historically. So let's see if we can get get some information. So uh, I seem to recall that many people believe that. King David was the sole author of the Psalms. Is is that right? Does that have any credence whatsoever in the Jewish community? It does. And I, I'm not sure, even from that traditional point of view, I'm not sure that it's necessarily every psalm. Uh, some of the psalms have superscripts that seem to indicate they were written by uh, groups other than King David. Uh, the uh, the children of Korach, for example, have one attributed to them. Uh, but the, the traditional mindset is that it was King David or it was the named person in the superscript. And I seem to remember the last time you were here and we were talking about your trip to Israel. This is this is the the, the two episodes actually. Uh, that I referenced at the very beginning of the program, you were at a museum in Israel, and you learned that uh, David wasn't quite what a lot of people think he was. Do you remember that? Yeah, I'm. 
I don't remember specifically learning it at that it, it museum, was, although maybe I did learn something uh, new. In Israel, let's say, but, in Israel. Yeah, yeah, that he was more likely ruler of a small kind of insignificant kingdom, and he his expansion was due to there being a uh, kind of a power vacuum in that place. It's more true for Solomon, uh, or equally true for Solomon as David, because Solomon's kingdom was substantial. Uh, but he was able to take advantage of that power vacuum and expand because there was nobody to stop him. Uh, nonetheless, King David, if you believe the Bible and little bits and pieces of archaeology that seem to substantiate it, did uh, move the, uh, the, the temple or the, the, the core of the temple and the, uh, the ark to Jerusalem. He conquered Jerusalem and made that the capital of his kingdom. And it was a united kingdom of north and south, all those 12 tribes all pulling together, which hadn't really happened until maybe Saul was able to do it a bit, but David really united the kingdom. So, uh, so he, you know, he, he may have been a kind of king of a backwater place, but he was important within my tradition. Certainly, certainly. So it it makes sense to you that he very well could uh, have been the author of a significant number of the Psalms. I'm not sure that makes sense. Uh, a a head of it doesn't follow that a head of state necessarily also wrote a lot of poetry. Maybe he did. Maybe he wrote some of them. But uh, I think if you look at them one by one and look at the dating of the of Psalms, you'll you'll find they're all over the place. Oh, so they they some of them are very old. Some of them are less old. So a, a slice of them may have been composed by David. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it's even close to the majority. But obviously that's not terribly important to... It's not, because yeah. I'm just reading them as poetry. Certainly. Uh, I mean, who, Whether it's David or somebody else, found himself in in a terrible position, surrounded by enemies, or is just feeling wonderfully grateful that something good happened or or is dedicating this one this David is dedicating a a sanctuary and uh, and writes a poem sings a song uh, uh, cries out a lament uh, and it doesn't matter to me who'd said it it's lovely poetry and and has evocative imagery in it, and that's what I'm playing off of. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today is Rabbi David Krishoff. We're talking about his book, Reflections on the Psalms. So is this your first book published? Do you have anything else? Uh, it's the first full book. I've had bits and pieces of a couple of other things. I uh, 
I, so I was, uh, I was speaking in a high school class about Judaism, and I, I always ask the teacher, so what text or what materials do you use? See, one time the teacher pulled out this text on world religions, and I paged through the Jewish section, and it was so awful, so uh, unbelievably bad. I wrote a note to the publisher and said, you might want to have this reviewed by somebody who, uh, who knows a little bit more about Judaism. And they wrote me back and said, how about you do it? And, <laughs> and here's a contract. We'll pay you for it. Whoa. So, so I have that. Uh, and, uh, and then actually some of these reflections were published uh, separately in the previous compilation of material from a writer's group that I participated in uh, you know, eight, ten years ago. Don't tell me that book you're talking about referred to Hanukkah as Jewish Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember all of the things that, that were wrong. Uh, it just... Uh, it just... Yeah. It wasn't spot on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, God bless you for, for that. Um, and then what was it that inspired you, other than the fact that I'm sure not only being a religious Jew but being a rabbi, uh, the Psalms sort of permeate your life, I would assume. Is that, is that a, a fair assumption? You know, for the services, prayers, and and all of that, right? It's it's just a part of Jewish life. It it's a big part of Jewish liturgy. Yes. So morning prayers have have a collection of psalms, and there's a you know psalms scattered in different parts of liturgy, and the psalm for fest a set of psalms for festival days. So. Uh, I was not familiar, and in fact, I still am not intimately familiar with all 150 of them. Uh, I'm more familiar with the ones that are part of a daily prayer practice. Uh, so that that was part of my motivation. To learn? Uh, just to learn a little bit more. Sure. I had a sabbatical about 10 years ago, and I was... I'm always thinking about project. What am I going to do? Three months. I'm not going to work every day. I want to do something that I normally wouldn't have time to do. So I decided, what if I read uh, a psalm a week and write an essay about it? Uh, if I do that every week, it'll take three years. And I'll be done with the whole book. Uh, but I'll start doing a sabbatical so I can kind of get a running start and get a, and after those three months, instead of just having twelve essays done, maybe I could have twenty done or twenty five. So I, because I was cheating, I wasn't really reading a psalm a week. I was doing more. So when I got busy, I could do less. Uh, so I went on for three years, and then I, at the end of it, I thought, well, could I do it again? Maybe I'll read. I'll write three essays a week, but we'll make them really short. The first set were about 250 words. The next set were about 100 words. What can I say in 100 words so that it encapsulates some piece of Jewish wisdom and 
connects it to something I'm, I'm reading. So then that was a, a full year, right? 150, three days a week is just under a year. Uh, so after four years, I had the core of, of this material, uh, and then I kind of sat on it for for a while. Uh, but it, it, it brought something up for me more than just the wisdom I was sharing. Like, I think you can read this book on, on two different levels. W one level is just to read it for uh, 300 essays on, on bits of, of Jewish wisdom reflected from or inspired by something in, in Psalms. Uh, another way to read the book, though, uh, is as a demonstration of a way to read uh, sacred literature in in a kind of a meditative way, uh, and that I think is uh, the uh, in some ways I think that's the deeper lesson. In the Christian tradition, they would refer to that uh, as uh, lectio divina. I don't know if you've heard that. No. Yeah, that that is reading um, reading a piece of scripture and then meditating on it, really trying to get into the the depths of it. Um, I'm curious. Uh, do you think people who do not read Hebrew are missing something reading the Psalms in English? Yes. Whenever you read something in translation, you're always missing something. I mean, if, if the author has good skills, then the author is using something with the, the texture and the, and the playfulness and word plays and, uh, of the language. Alliteration is very hard to translate. Uh, you, mm -hmm. can, you can't translate it literally. You can recreate it but you're departing from something in the original. So, yeah, you're missing something. But if it's a good translator, you're reading a good piece of poetry, so you can still get something. Right, right, exactly. Uh, do you think that uh, people outside of Judaism, particularly Christians, because the book of Psalms is also part of, of their Bible as well, uh, would you say that it it is interfaith in that respect that a Christian could read it and appreciate the poetry and also the theology? So when I took my original material and I I went through it for publication, I did it consciously hoping that people who were not Jewish would also be able to access the book. Now I I didn't take out all of the the Hebrew. I, I didn't take out all the the Jewish flavor of the re, of the reflections because I, I can only write otherwise? who I am. Yes, but I made sure that it, everything was translated. I added the glossary in the back. I hope I explained complicated terms at least once in the course of the book. So if you read it sequentially, the second, third, or fifth time I use it, it may not be explained quite as well, but hopefully it was the first time. So I want it to be accessible to a broad audience. And what kind of response have you gotten so far? I've, I've gotten a 
good response from the people who have read it. Need more of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's hard promoting a book. I, I hear that have, often. <laughs> don't have a lot of time to promote a book. I I have a have a you know a, a time consuming job. This is just something I I did kind of on the side, uh, but. Uh, I think that the people who have been able to uh, to buy the the print copy or the Kindle version and and put it next to their bed and read a couple of chapters before they go to bed, uh, I, I, they've gotten they, they've all said that it's something to think about. There there is some content in there that's worth mulling over, and that's what I had hoped people would find. And and uh, from what I've seen in your commentaries, it's very contemporary, right? You you made a conscious effort to bring the Psalms into the twenty first century. Okay, so not necessarily bring the Psalms, bring, but okay. your reflections. But my, so the reflections are contemporary. Although when I wrote them, maybe they were too contemporary. Uh, they may have referred to this is what happened to me last week and this is what I'm thinking about because of it. And in editing, I realized, well, you know, it, it's not Thanksgiving necessarily when, when you're reading my book. Uh, so yes. a reference to it was Thanksgiving last week doesn't make any sense anymore. So I, I tried to make it... Uh, Current, but not too current. I understand. Yeah, no, uh, that that's uh, you have to balance those things. And uh, I mean, I, I I can talk about why why the details of why I'm kind of quibbling with the idea of bringing the Psalms into the 21st century. And and let's hold that because we're down to the wire for this episode. But uh, David, we're going to have you back next week, if that's okay with you. I would love to be here. Great. You're listening to Common Threads. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today has been Rabbi David Krischief. We're talking about his book, Reflections on the Psalms. So please join us next week for the conclusion of this conversation here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue.
Hello, I'm Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association, an affiliate of the Kaufman Interfaith Institute. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we began our conversation with Rabbi David Krishev. He is the rabbi of Ahavas Israel, a synagogue in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we're talking about his book, Reflections on the Psalms. Welcome, David. Thank you, Fred. Uh, last week, as I recall, I had to cut you off because we were running out of time, but we were talking about the writing process for the Psalms and how you wanted uh, to make your commentaries on the Psalms to be, uh, as as you put it, current but not too current. Um, I'm assuming that you didn't want the book to be faddish. Uh, or something that might be relevant for about six weeks, and then all of a sudden a whole other thing happens in society. So tell us about that that process. So I, uh, I, I didn't want to refer to something happening uh, in the calendar, uh, whether it was uh, an election, uh, a, a popular or unpopular election, a particular candidate, a, uh, a bill that ha- uh, or a Supreme Court decision that had just happened. I couldn't get away from that entirely, but I, I needed to make sure that uh, it, if I was talking about some change in society because of a Supreme Court decision that uh, that the essay put that in a little bit of a broader context uh, so it didn't sound dated. Uh, the same thing, holiday celebrations. I had to make, make sure that uh, you know, there's no note that says, don't read Psalm 144 <laughs> unless it's Thanksgiving, because right? I wrote it on Thanksgiving. So I had to make sure that you know, gratitude is something that you could do every day. Of you course. have to wait till things. So I just had to make sure that, that everything was put in the broadest possible lens. Uh, that's it was one of the things. And this is this the editing of a book just takes forever. Uh, a, a friend of mine uh, suggested that uh, the publication of a book is the closest thing that a biological male will ever experience to childbirth. Mm-hmm. The pain of <laughs> giving birth to this book and the, the feeling that I never want to do that again was <laughs> absolutely real. And, it, and at the same time, uh, I know that um, I spoke to a, a film director once, and he talked about editing film, and he referred to it, you know, forgive the the graphic imagery here, as killing your children when when you have to you have to take this scene out, and you worked so hard on this scene, but it's going over time, and other people might be telling you this scene doesn't belong here and and so i can imagine that sometimes what what uh is no longer in your book 
was was in your book when it was just uh, you know in your computer you you might have felt a little bit of remorse like I have I have to get rid of this I have to cut this but maybe you still think it's really good I I don't know but I I, I know other authors have said that it's it's always a challenge when you have a great thought and it just doesn't fit in the book anymore well see that's where being a congregational rabbi is helpful because first of all I have deep experience you start writing a sermon and we realize that well you know that this part of it is not really relevant to the main idea but I really like that paragraph <laughs> uh, or the whole thing is just too long I've I've bitten off far too much for for the normal 12 minutes that I want to devote to is that your time, 12 minutes? That's what I have in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to ask other people whether that whether I actually achieve that. Okay. Uh, but fortunately, as a congregational rabbi, what I can do is cut that paragraph, paste it in another document, and when I'm looking for ideas for something else, I have this whole collection of little paragraphs and snippets and ideas that... Uh, I can recover and plug in or start from that place. and uh, So yeah, everything I took out of the book, uh, all those golden phrases <laughs> have probably appeared elsewhere in some other uh, German or Bullen article or who knows what. Okay, well, good, yeah. good. Uh, one thing we didn't do last week because, well, we talk. <laughs> and because I really would like you to share some of your favorite uh, passages, some of your favorite psalms, and some of the commentaries as well. And I'm going to let I'm going to let you choose. Uh, is there anything that stands out as something that would uh, really allow our friends listening to understand what what the book is, the, the flavor of the book? So I'm going to read something from Psalm 147. And uh, I'm, not, I'm doing this uh, deliberately to give you uh, a sense of what I referred to last week as two different levels of the book, that yeah, I'm sharing something about Jewish wisdom, although yeah, there's something about Jewish wisdom in, in this brief piece. But it's also uh, a demonstration of uh, of this the kind of contemplating contemplative reading that I was talking about last week. Uh, traditional Jewish liturgy has words coming out of everywhere. It's just words and words, I mean, hundreds, thousands of words. Uh, very contemporary Jewish worship. In, mostly in the non-traditional movements, have uh, have abridged, and sometimes what they do is is say okay, the idea of this prayer is X, and we're just going to have a couple of words that point us to thinking about X, and 
We're going to chant those words, sing a great melody just to those three words. Uh, I mean, really, it's a lot like your traditional forms of of worship. Mm -hmm. So my objection to that uh, is that when I have a a psalm of, say, uh, 20 verses, Psalm 147, okay, uh, and it's one of a collection of, say, 10 psalms that will provide a meditative introduction to a standard Sabbath morning service. In those 20 verses, I have uh, 40 or 50 different evocative phrases, ideas, any, any one of which my mind can get fixed on. And I might say, today, that's the most important phrase for me. But tomorrow when I do that, it might be a different phrase. So I'm letting the liturgy and my mind interact. And what I get out of that psalm is what I need to get out of it. Okay? If the, the, the rabbi, the prayer leader, chooses this one idea and this one melody, then they're saying that's what you're going to get out of prayer today. Uh, rather than maybe what I need to get out of it. So, for example, in Psalm 147, uh, one of my essays, the longer one, is on the phrase, uh, the the healer of the brokenhearted. Okay? Uh, the one I am going to read is on the phrase, God counts the number of the stars, God names them all. Those are two very different ideas. And there's also an idea in that psalm about God providing the uh, providing rain for the earth. Okay? So it, if we were in a drought, or if say it hasn't it hasn't snowed very much this winter, to extend that phrase a little bit, that phrase might jump out at me and say, you know, this is this is not good that we haven't gotten snow uh, between. Halloween and the week before New Year's. Right? Uh, I agree. So, uh, so this book is a demonstration of how you can use liturgy to uh, to see what your mind and your heart and your soul needs at that particular moment. That's what I was doing. So I'll read uh, the the hundred word essay on God counts the number of the stars, God names them all. From Psalm 147. Dale Carnegie said, A person's name is to him or her the sweetest and most important sound in any language. To use a name in conversation, to greet a person by name, to remember names of people we meet are signs of deep caring. Jewish tradition discourages us from counting people, perhaps because to count them is to assign them an impersonal number rather than acknowledging their uniqueness with a name. So, it's a beautiful phrase. And, And on that day, when I read that phrase, I'm thinking... It's a sign for the author of this psalm. 
it's a sign of God's love of humanity uh, that if God can can name each star, remember the the individual characteristics of each one. You know, by extension, God can name and remember the individual characteristic characteristic their characteristics of each person. And so can you know, so can we hope to be able to do and keep in our in our minds and hearts as a goal. So that that that's a little Jewish piece of wisdom that I, that, I, that uh, popped up for me on that particular day for that particular psalm. Briefly, let me just uh, remind folks that if uh, you're just tuning in, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today, Rabbi David Krischief, and we are talking about his book, Reflections on the Psalms. Well, uh, Real quick, before you go on, what does it mean to count people? You said that you shouldn't count people. What what does that mean? Uh, uh, you know, if if you're planning a dinner party, you might have to count the number of chairs and the number of people who are coming to make sure you have enough chairs. I, I suspect that what you're talking about is much deeper. Well, literally, it's, it's almost that. Uh, in in Jewish tradition, there there is an aversion to counting the number of people to make sure that we have exact we have at least ten for a prayer quorum called a minion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to know if you have a minion in the room, you don't look at the people and say one two three four five six seven eight nine ten. Uh, it, there's some biblical roots to this. Uh, counting people in the census is connected to uh, to plagues in the Bible. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, so Jewish tradition prefers to assign a verse, uh, a particular biblical verse with ten words in it. So, so I. Uh, I know one in Hebrew. I can't do one in English, but uh, it, were I to count for a minion, I would point pe- point to people and say, "Hoshia et amecha, uvarech et nachlatecha, etc." Yeah. And if I got to the end of the verse <laughs> and I still had more people, I know we have more than a minion. If I didn't get to the end of the verse, then oh, I guess we don't have <laughs> ten people. Uh, so that's how it plays itself out in traditional Jewish life. I see. So you could do the same thing when you're planning a dinner party if you if you wanted. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> truthfully, when we invite people for dinner, we know how many we invited. And we we count the plates. Uh, yeah, we invited sixteen people. We have sixteen plates, so, so it's okay. okay to count the plates, yeah. to count the chairs. You don't count the people. Got it? Yes, yeah. they're coming in. We don't say, "Oh, you're number one, right. you're number two, you're number 15. <laughs> okay, I understand that. Now that that's that is what. One of the reasons I was so excited to have you here to, to, to be able to delve deeper into the, the Jewish wisdom specifically that, that people outside of Judaism 
uh, who may appreciate the Psalms but don't get the context that you're able to give. Um, please share share another one. We have time. Sure. Uh, so here's one on Psalm 51. I'm only reading the the brief ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the. The, the phrase that I, I pulled out, so I should say the way the book is organized is uh, for each psalm, there's a, there's a quotation, either a full verse or a phrase that, I, that I'm focused on. So that's printed. And then there's the, the essay. And then there's the, the second phrase that I'm focused on and the, and the brief essay. So the, the phrase is, I recognize my transgressions and my sin is always before me. My reflection, Judaism favors the religious person who rejects the impulse to say, I am a sinner and I am worthless, in favor of saying, I am a sinner and my repentance completes my atonement. To atone, one starts by embracing the practice of daily cheshbon hanefesh, self-evaluation. We begin by taking responsibility for the mistakes which happen every day. The first step towards teshuva, repentance, and conclude by wiping ourselves clean of sin and achieving atonement. So you see, I'm I'm not telling you uh, what the psalmist is saying. I, I I'm in fact saying something a little bit different than what the psalmist is saying. I'm using his the idea he's setting in front of me to to say something a little bit different about. Uh, the nature of atonement. The psalmist is saying, my sin is always in front of me, but I don't think Jewish tradition suggests that we should uh, we should let ourselves be uh, be weighed down or held back constantly by the idea that we you know, we are sinning human beings. Right. It, it's not according to Judaism. It's it's not human nature to be completely sinful right there's there's a balance of of it's i mean i i've heard it argued both ways from jewish tradition that that we were created uh we're created basically good and we have a uh we have a a selfish side kind of a an evil side mm-hmm. to us that we can that's what we I've can heard battle or, or or suppress or something like that, and I've heard it argued that Judaism suggests that we are not basically good, we're we're basically neutral beings or maybe even basically selfish beings, and we work all our lives to to achieve goodness to transcend our selfish internal core. But I've never heard uh, Jews refer to themselves as sinners. I mean, maybe 
you're around more Jews than I am. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I think you do hear it, and I'm not sure that people who say that are are really thinking it through systematically from a Jewish perspective. There's people who feel really bad about who they are. Like their their lives are are miserable. They've had a series of bad luck. Uh, and and they at that moment they say exactly what this psalmist says, I'm I am cursed, I'm hopeless, I'm uh, I'm not worthy of anything. And I think that that may be where the psalmist was coming from, and I want to uh, to turn away from that and remind myself or others who happen to be reading this that. Uh, there, there's another way to think of, you know, of ourselves, and, and if we think of ourselves as a person who, who is capable of atonement, then no matter what we've done, we're capable of transcending that. It is interesting because while, and I'm I'm really going back, thinking, uh, of my readings, my interactions with uh, Jews, and while I. It, I don't hear we are all sinners. I don't hear that uh, or, or see that. At the same time, uh, there's a, a classic meme of so-called Jewish guilt. <laughs> so maybe that's some people's way of saying that they've got issues. Any, any thoughts? I, when you talk to, when, when you interview people for this show, Yes, you're probably interviewing people who are uh, relatively emotionally healthy or stable people. I've had good luck that way. <laughs> uh, you're probably not going to somebody's hospital bed. Correct. You're probably not talking to them right after they've lost a job and are are embarrassed and angry. Uh, so you're seeing people, in a way, at their best. And, and even when you do interfaith, you're in an interfaith program and you're having a table conversation, you're not getting at, at, uh, at the core of the real person who's sitting at the table with you, unless you know them well and have known them for, for 20 years. They're not going to tell you that their uh, their family is a mess and their grandchildren won't speak to them and hey so you know the way people really are they have sure. family problems money problems job problems so so what I'm telling you is that Jews are no different than anybody else and they do sometimes feel uh, I you know, I'm a sinner, and they're not saying that from a Christian theological point of view where, uh, where emotionally healthy Christians might say that because that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Jews are saying that because there's in the depths of some angst. Uh, and th- so that's why you're not seeing it. So we're, not, we're not talking academics here in theology. Right, we're talking right. About real people i understand that 
Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I think we might have time for one more. Yeah, of one quick, quick uh, uh, reflection from you, David. Okay. Uh, how about this one? Uh, Psalm 23. Everybody loves Psalm 23. Oh, who doesn't right? love Psalm 23? <laughs> I shall not want is the phrase. The mantra of North America is, I want. We eat too much, spend too much, acquire too much, and are never satisfied. The next time you are tempted to take seconds of dessert or buy a shiny new toy, adopt the mantra, I shall not want. Try quieting the insistent voice of the Yetzer Hara. Okay, let's pause for a moment. That's a word I probably defined earlier, and I didn't define it in this essay. Yetzer Hara is the selfish inclination inside of you. So try quieting the insistent voice of the Yetzer Hara inside you rather than feeding it. Focus on what you need rather than what you want you'll discover that your true needs are much more modest than your desires, and your level of satisfaction will rise. I would say that that is wisdom that transcends religions everywhere. There's, there's no question. And, of course, placing it in the context of North America, it, it, it makes a lot more sense than perhaps some people reading it in other countries. Yeah, right. Because there, there is there is a a penchant for us to go bigger and better, all the time. Although there, you can buy this book through Amazon in Great Britain or France. Well, as long as you read English, you can buy it in France or Germany, anywhere you want. You can buy it on Amazon. And if you don't read English, you can learn. <laughs> Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> David, this has uh, been a wonderful uh, conversation both this week and last. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. Uh, my guest today has been Rabbi David Krischoff from Ahavas, Israel, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we are, we've been talking about his book, Reflections on the Psalms. Thank you for joining us, and please be with us next week. I'm Fred Stella, and this is WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.